What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John. And this week, we are back to analyze the UFC Rosenstrike versus Sakai card going down tomorrow night, June 5th, 2021. This 14-fight card will take place in the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, which means it will take place in the small UFC cage. And just a quick recap of the last podcast, the Font versus Garbrandt card about two weeks ago. We did predict 9 out of 12 fights correctly on the podcast and profit 5.65 units on official track bets. So it was a great week of bets and picks. Hope you're all able to make some money as well. And we're actually on a really good streak of events on the Martian MMA podcast. The past 10 events, we have won on 8 out of 10 events on official track bets, profiting 18.2 units with an ROI of around 35%. So we're on a really good streak. Hope you've been tailing along with me and making some money along the way. And hope we can keep it rolling with this card. But I got to say, this card is a risky one. There aren't too many favorites that I consider safe plays. There are a lot of underdogs that I think have value. So I will be tipping a lot of underdogs. Already have some track bets on some underdogs. And you're going to hear my thoughts on all 14 fights here shortly. So let's get into the first fight of the card. In the lightweight division, we have Jordan Levitt as the minus 191 favorite. Taking on Claudio Puelas as the plus 166 underdog. These lines are all available on Bet Online, by the way. And right off the bat, I think this is a dog or pass situation. I just think that Jordan Levitt is too untested. He's primarily a grappler, hasn't fought that many good opponents, does not have good striking. And I think Claudio Puelas is going to be continuing to improve. He hasn't fought in about two years, but he's training at a good camp at Sanford MMA, training with a lot of good training partners. And he's a very good grappler of his own right. And I think that Puelas will actually be the better striker of the two. And I think Puelas will be able to hold his own in the grappling. It is possible that Levitt just hits takedowns and stays on top and out grapples Poilus. Maybe Poilus is pretty bad on bottom, but from what I've seen from him on bottom so far, he does attack submissions, leg locks, knee bars. He can't sweep and get back up to the feet, so I think he won't be out of his element at all on bottom. And as I mentioned, I think he will be the better striker here. So at plus 166, I'd say that Poilus is the value side, and I just have a hard time trusting Levitt with how badly he's looked in the striking, with how low quality his opponents that he's beaten are i just can't pick him in this spot at minus 200 so i'm not too confident in playlist but i'm going to be picking him as my official pick i think he gets it done by either submission or decision um, but he really could win the fight in all three ways so i think that playlist is going to win this one as an official pick let's go with decision uh, but this is a dogger pass to start the card in the lightweight division the next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Sean Woodson as the minus 176 favorite, taking on Yusef Salal as the plus 151 underdog. I actually think this line is pretty accurate, despite Zalal being a pretty popular underdog pick amongst betters for the week. I just don't personally see it, in my opinion. I think Woodson is going to be the better striker. He's going to be using his boxing to outbox Zalal, and Zalal is really going to need to grapple to win this fight, but I just don't think Zalal is that good of a grappler. I don't think he's very physically strong. I don't think he's good at finishing opponents. I mean, that's one thing for certain. Zalal just does not finish opponents. It doesn't seem like he throws hard strikes. Sometimes he gets close to submissions, but just can't seem to finish them. So I think Woodson is a better defensive grappler than Peter Barrett, for example, who Zalal was still not able to finish despite beating him pretty handily in that fight. So I think this fight will look pretty similar to Zalal's last fight against Choi. Woodson has a pretty similar frame to Choi. He's a tall, lanky guy without the best defensive grappling, but even against Choi, Zalal was not able to take him down, and he was outstruck for the majority of that fight at range. I think we're going to see a similar story. I trust Woodson's defensive grappling to stuff the takedowns and to avoid getting put on his back and outstrike Zalal. I will say that Woodson's defensive grappling isn't the best. We have seen him taken down. We have seen his back get taken. We did see him get submitted in his last fight against Julian Arosa, but 
Woodson was actually winning about 80% of that fight before eventually getting taken down and submitted in round three. So it's not like he was taken down consistently, held down, and eventually submitted. He got kind of uh, randomly submitted in the transition later on in the fight. So I don't think Zalal has the control grappling and the wrestling to take down Woodson and to outgrapple him. So I think Woodson's going to keep it on the feet and outstrike him uh, to either a knockout or decision victory. Let's go with decision. Woodson by decision is the pick. The next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division. We have Manon Theorot as the minus 600 favorite, taking on Tabitha Risi as the plus 425 underdog. This is clear as day, dog or pass to me. Risi is coming in here on short notice, and she has fought most of her career at 115 pounds, but Risi is a grappler. She does seem to have some decent arsenal of takedowns. She can hit double leg takedowns. She can hit some judo clinch throw takedowns, and she can keep top position. She looks competent from top position. And based on those few things alone, I think that she's probably worth a value play against Firo because Risi's a grappler. She's going to attempt to get the fight to the floor. And I think that she could have success there against Firo because Firo, as we know, is primarily a striker. She does look pretty good in the striking. She's got some power in her hands. She's got some good combination striking, good killer instinct as well. But as we have seen in a few of Fearroad's regional fights, especially the McCourt fight, she can be taken down. She does not have the best takedown defense, and she doesn't look too good off of her back as well. So Reese coming in here as a grappler who's going to look to hit takedowns and looks competent as a grappler from top position, I think she's definitely worth a small stab here. I know Reese is undersized. I know she's coming in on really short notice making her UFC debut, but... Minus 600 for Fear Road here, 86% chance that she stuffs takedowns and outstrikes Reese. There's no way I could put the odds that high. At best, I would cap it in the 75 to 80% range. But if Reese comes out here aggressive and gets those takedowns early, I think it gets real interesting. And I think she's a real live dog at the plus 400 range. In terms of an official pick, I still will go with Firo, and I'll probably go with her by knockout because I could see Firo just landing a few strikes and Risi covering up and that being the fight, but I'm cheering for Risi to pull off the short notice upset in this one, and I think a small bet on Risi at plus 400 is warranted. The next fight takes place in the lightweight division. We have Mason Jones as the minus 345 favorite, taking on Alan Patrick as the plus 270 underdog. I do think this line is a little bit wide. I agree with Mason Jones being in the 70 to 75% range, but where it's at now at over 75%, I just don't think that you can trust Mason Jones at that price. He's taken on Alan Patrick, who hasn't won a fight in about two or three years, but he is a good grappler. He can shoot a lot of takedowns. He's a good wrestler. And Patrick wins his fights with the wrestling. He's not going to win this fight with his striking. He's looking to get the fight to the floor, and he has a good chance of doing so because we haven't seen the best defensive grappling and takedown defense from Mason Jones thus far. We did see him get taken down briefly by Mike Davis in his last fight, and it's not like Davis got a lot of control time, but we did still see an opportunity for Jones to be taken down. So I just don't think you can be more than 75% confident that he stuffs the takedowns, gets up from those takedowns, and beats Patrick here because Patrick has a very real path to victory. When these two are striking with one another, I do expect Jones to be winning pretty emphatically, and I could see him covering his price if the fight stays on the feet the entire time, but I just think Patrick will attempt takedowns, Jones is going to have to stuff some takedowns, might get pushed against the cage, might even get put on his back early in round one. So I just don't think that Mason Jones covers his price without an early round one knockout, so I think that Patrick is a bit live here, plus 270, I do think there is value there, I would cap this fight closer to like... 70-73% for Jones, so there is value on Patrick. It's just a question of whether you want to lay some money on him. Personally, I'm not in love with him as an underdog because I do eventually expect Jones to get up from those takedowns and to win the striking, do a lot more damage in this fight. So I'm going to be picking Mason Jones to either win by knockout or decision. 
But in terms of bets for this one, I do think it is dog or pass, and Patrick is live at plus 270. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Muslim Salikov as the minus 250 favorite, taking on Francisco Trinaldo as the plus 210 underdog. This is another fight where I think the value is from the dog Trinaldo here. I think it is dog or pass. And I just expect this fight to be a close competitive striking fight. We have Trinaldo moving up to welterweight for the first time. He did miss weight in his last fight. And it looked like the weight cut affected him. He got dropped by a punch by Jai Herbert there. Had a tough fight but still was able to pull off that crazy comeback knockout with that big overhand left. And Trinaldo is still a very crafty striker. He does a lot of cool striking stuff on the feet from that southpaw stance. He's really good at attacking the body. And I just expect this fight to be kind of 50-50. I maybe give a slight advantage to Muslim Salikov because he does have more welterweight experience. He's more adjusted to the weight class. And he has actually beaten some good welterweight fighters in his past few fights. I was actually really impressed with Salikov's performance over Steropoli. I thought that was a very clean striking performance from Salikov there. But Salikov is a low to medium tempo striking guy. He can get in close split decision type of fights. We did see that in his most recent fight against Zaleski Dos Santos. And I think that this fight could really play out in that same way where both guys are putting up similar volume and the rounds are close and the judges could give this fight to either fighter. Another possible advantage for Trinaldo here is the grappling. I do think that Trinaldo is the better grappler than Salikov, and even though Trinaldo doesn't have the most consistent takedowns, I do think this fight could end up on the floor, and we could see Trinaldo winning minutes with this grappling here. So I just think Trinaldo is live everywhere. I agree with Salikov being a slight favorite here, maybe in the 55 to 60% range. At most, I would give him 65%, but where it's at now is closer to 70%, so I think the value is all over Trinaldo here. I haven't bet Trinaldo yet, but I will likely end up with a one-unit play on him at around plus 210 odds. I just think the value is too good to pass up. I love Trinaldo. He's one of my favorite fighters, and I think he's very live in this spot. Even though he's late into his career, I like this welterweight jump, and I think he's live in the spot against Salikov. So the official pick... I think I'll go with a little bit of a hedge and pick Salikov by decision, but I'll be cheering and betting on Trinaldo here. The next fight takes place in the heavyweight division. We have Tanner Bosser as the minus 175 favorite, taking on Ir Latifi as the plus 150 underdog. I'd say the value is on Latifi here as the underdog for one simple reason, and that's just Tanner Bosser's defensive grappling is not very tested. In his five or six UFC fights, we've never seen him taken down. We haven't seen him spend any time on bottom. And that's really because very few opponents have attempted to take him down. He hasn't fought many grapplers. But if you go back and watch his regional fights before we got in the UFC, you did see him get taken down. You did see him not look good off of his back. The time he actually spent on his back, he looked really bad. He looked like a white or blue belt off of his back. He just didn't have much of an idea how to get up. So based on that reason alone, I think Latifi is live here because, as we all know, Latifi loves hitting takedowns. He doesn't really throw too many strikes in the feet, but he's looking to get the fight to the floor with his wrestling, and he does have a pretty good arsenal of takedowns, and I think he's going to take Bosser down if he wants to here, so I do expect Bosser to win the striking pretty emphatically. Ir Latifi barely threw any strikes in the feet versus Derek Lewis in his last fight. So it seems pretty clear that Latifi is really relying on his grappling nowadays. And that's exactly what I want to see in this matchup against Bosser. Because if Latifi comes in with a grapple-heavy game plan, I think he will hit takedowns and has a very good chance to out-grapple Tanner Bosser to a decision or possibly even find a finish on the ground. I am considering a play on Latifi where his money line is currently at, but I see a prop that I also catches my eye a little bit the Latifi by submission or decision prop available on FanDuel or Betfair is plus 300 I don't think Latifi's going to win this fight by knockout I think he's going to win it with his grappling so submission or decision at plus 300 25 percent 
I might end up with a bet on that. So make sure you continue to monitor my bet MMA tips in the following 24 hours to make sure you see all my track plays. I think I'll go with another hedge pick in this one. I guess I'll pick Bosser by knockout or decision. Let's go with Bosser by decision as the official pick. But again, I'll be cheering and rooting for the underdog Latifi here. And another fight where I think it's dog or pass. We're six fights in. I think five out of six, I've said that there is value on the underdog. So as I mentioned earlier on in the in the podcast, it's a risky week. We're going for a lot of dogs. And we're not even halfway through this card yet. So I'm sure there's a lot more dogs to come. The next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division. We have Montana De La Rosa as the minus 265 favorite taking on Ariane Lipsky as the plus 225 underdog. I guess where this line is at now, it is dog or pass, but this is a fight where I don't have much confidence in the underdog. The reason why I'm saying it's dog or pass is because there there have been much better times to bet De La Rosa. She was minus 170, minus 185, even minus 200 about a week or two ago, but the current price, minus 265, I think it's gotten a little too steep to be laying the chalk at this point, but De La Rosa should really win this fight. Lipsky's a terrible defensive grappler, can be taken down really easily, can be put on bottom. I mean, we just saw Lipsky get mauled in the grappling by Antonina Shevchenko, and we know that Shevchenko is not that good of a grappler, so that was a huge red flag. I do think that De La Rosa is going to be able to take down and outgrapple Lipsky here. De La Rosa is pretty aggressive with her takedowns. She shoots a consistent amount of takedowns throughout the entire fight, and she has good cardio. She's going to be keep shooting takedowns the full 15 minutes, and I think that that should be good enough to beat Ariane Lipsky here. I just do not trust the takedown defense of Lipsky. And even on the feet, De La Rosa can hold her own there. I don't think the Lipsky is going to be winning too emphatically. And I think that De La Rosa eventually gets takedowns and likely dominates the grappling here, either finding a finish or winning a really wide decision. So Montana De La Rosa, I could see her getting the submission here, but let's go with the dominant decision, like 30-26 as the official pick. One prop bet I like for this fight is the De La Rosa by submission prop at plus 360. De La Rosa is going to be grappling. She's going to be winning with the grappling. And I think the plus 360 is going to look live when the fight is in the grappling realm. So I like that prop. Might end up with a small track bet on that as well. Uh, but De La Rosa by decision is going to be the pick. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Makwan Amirakani as the minus 188 favorite taking on Camuela Kirk as the plus 163 underdog. Kirk is coming in here on short notice to make his UFC debut, and I've been pretty impressed with what I've seen from him so far. I think he's very well-rounded. He's a good grappler who can hit offensive takedowns, pass guard, stay on top. And he also is steadily improving his striking. I think he's really been working on his striking in his past few fights, and it shows. I think he's a solid boxer with some pop in his hands. He's got a good kicking game. And I'm pretty confident that Kirk is going to be the better striker than Makwan here. Makwan is primarily a grappler and is pretty hittable on the feet. He's been dropped multiple times in the past. He's been hurt a lot of the times in his fights. I mean, he's been taking beatings lately. He took that beating by Barbosa, Shane Burgos, and even before those fights, he was getting dropped by guys like Jason Knight. So Amir Khani is hittable. He's a bit chinny. And I think that on the feet, we're going to see Kirk land in the harder strikes and possibly even hurting Makwan when the fight is on the feet. In terms of grappling for this one, Kirk doesn't have much footage of him defending takedowns. He's usually the one hitting offensive takedowns, but from what I've seen from him on top, I think he is a competent, good grappler, and you kind of have to make a bit of an assumption about his defensive grappling. I've seen good enough offensive grappling from him that I think that he is competent enough to not get totally wiped out on the map by Makwan here, and I think that he has a good chance of stuffing takedowns, at getting up from those takedowns, and getting back to the striking range where he should have an advantage here. So I just don't think this line should be as wide as it is. 
I was able to get a small bet in on Kirk at plus 220 odds, and I actually sent out a tweet about this, so make sure you're following me on Twitter to get all my latest updates. Uh, the line has dropped since then. We're seeing Kirk plus 180, plus 160 now. It is getting to more appropriately priced range. I think that Maquan being like 60% here is the most that I would cap him. I mean, he hasn't beaten very many good fighters lately. If Maquan were able to defeat Kirk, I think that it would be the best win of his career in the past two or three years. So I'm just not quite ready to trust Maquan Americani at that minus 180, minus 190 price tag. So at the current price, it is still dog or pass. I like what I've seen from Camuela Kirk so far. I think he's going to win the striking. I think he's even live to hurt Maquan and knock him out at some point. So the Camuela Kirk knockout prop at plus 750, I think could be worth a stab. And in terms of an official prediction, let's go with another hedge pick here. Makwan Amirakani by decision via out grappling is going to be the pick. But once again, I'll be cheering for the dog here. I think he's really live. I got in on plus 220, so I got a good price. And I think there's still some value left on Kirk at that plus 170, 180 price tag if you're able to get those prices. All right, everyone, we are done the prelims. Eight fights down, six more to go. We are now in the main card portion of this card. And the first fight there takes place in the middleweight division. We have Tom Brees as the minus 255 favorite, taking on Antonio Arroyo as the plus 215 underdog. And I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but I do think the value is on Arroyo here. Arroyo is a terrible fighter. I mean, the guy is really bad at grappling. He can be easily taken down. He gets stuck on his back for long periods of time. He's a really bad grappler, and even when the fight's on the feet, he doesn't throw that many strikes. I guess he's got a nice left body kick, but even when the fight's on the feet, he is nothing special. So I think Arroyo is a pretty terrible fighter, but he is fighting Tom Brees, who's a minus 250 favorite, and I just don't think that Brees is the type of fighter you want to trust at minus 250 now. The guy has very inconsistent performances. Brees, when he's good, is a well-rounded fighter. He does have sharp boxing from the southpaw stance. He can hit takedowns. He's a solid grappler, competes a lot in professional jiu-jitsu. So I do think he should have a pretty big grappling advantage over Royal. Honestly, should probably be the better striker as well when the fight's in the feet. But we haven't really seen Brees have striking minutes against someone recently. I guess he struck with Bueller for a little bit. But in the Allen fight and the Omari fight, those fights are majorly grappling. We haven't seen Brees really strike against someone his level in a long time. So the striking in this one is a bit of an unknown, but in the grappling, Brees should have a pretty sizable advantage. If Brees comes out here and attacks the easiest path to victory, and that is grappling takedowns, I think he should be able to easily outgrapple Royal, probably even submit a Royal once the fight is on the floor. But even with the path to victory so obvious and such a grappling weakness from Arroyo, I'm still reluctant to trust Tom Brees here at the minus 250 price tag. There's just no way you can be laying that type of chalk based on Brees' recent performances. But a prop bet I like for this fight is the Tom Brees by submission prop at 6-1. to one. I think that's a little too high. It should be closer to 3-4-1. to four to one. If Brees attacks that grappling, he should be able to soundly outgrapple Arroyo, and I think the submission is going to look live with doing so. So the pick for me is going to be Tom Breeze by submission or decision, but it's a risky pick. Breeze coming in here and laying an egg and getting knocked out round one wouldn't completely shock me either. So be careful on this one. The pick is Breeze by submission or decision. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Dusko Todorovic as the minus 128 favorite, taking on Gregory Rodriguez as the plus 108 underdog. Rodriguez is making his UFC debut on short notice here, fresh off an LFA knockout victory just a few weeks ago. And I've been pretty impressed with what I saw from Rodriguez so far. He's a solid striker. He's got a Muay Thai base where he pressures intelligently. He can check kicks. He's got good power in both of his hands. Got solid boxing skill. 
one pretty clear weakness of Rodriguez is he doesn't have the best boxing defense when under pressure. We saw that in the Jordan Williams fight. He was winning that fight for a few minutes, but Jordan Williams just stringed together a combination of punches and was able to clip and knock out Rodriguez. So it doesn't seem like Rodriguez has the best defense or chin, but I do think he is the better offensive striker than Dusko Todorovic. Dusko Todorovic also has his own defensive issues. We saw that in his last fight against Soriano. He couldn't really see the southpaw punches of Soriano coming, got rocked several times in that fight, got dropped a few times, and eventually finished in round one there. When these guys are striking on the feet, I could see either guy landing hard punches and knocking each other out, but I do have a little more faith in Rodriguez. I just think he's got a little more cleaner offensive technique. I think he's on a roll lately coming off of two fresh knockout victories. And I also think that Rodriguez has the better grappling of the two. We have seen Rodriguez hit takedowns and keep top position, even submit opponents from top position in some of his regional fights. So I think that Rodriguez should have that grappling to lean on as well. And I do give Rodriguez a slight striking advantage on the feet here. Like I said, either guy knocking each other out in round one wouldn't completely surprise me, especially with Rodriguez's poor defense. But I trust the offensive striking of Rodriguez a little bit more. I think he's a bit more composed, and I think he has more ways to win the fight. So I'm picking Rodriguez to win the fight on short notice. I have a track bet on Rodriguez here, 1.5 unit bet at plus 140 odds. The odds are currently around plus 110, so it seems like I got some closing line value on that one, and I got in at the right time. So I hope you're all able to get in at plus 140 as well, and I'm picking Robocop to get the round one knockout here. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Miguel Baeza as the minus 121 favorite, taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio as the plus 101 underdog. I sent out a few tweets about this fight earlier. It is a tough fight to pick. You got the untested young up-and-coming guy in Baeza, and you have the more veteran, possibly past his prime Ponzinibbio on the other side. I've been pretty skeptical of Baeza's UFC career so far. I think I bet against him in all three of his UFC fights and lost in all three of them. And I finally gained some more respect for Baeza in his last fight against Sato. Very well-rounded performance there, outstriking Sato on the feet, hitting takedowns, and eventually submitting Sato on the floor. But you cannot ignore the quality of competition that Baeza has fought in the UFC so far. It's been pretty low caliber. Aldana never really deserved to be in the UFC. Matt Brown way past his prime. And Baeza actually had a pretty tough fight against Brown. And then Sato also not really a UFC caliber opponent. So Baeza hasn't really beaten anybody that good lately. Reyna on the contender series. Again, not that high level of an opponent. So I think that Ponzinibbio is going to be the best opponent that Baeza has fought by a pretty wide margin. It's just a question of whether Ponzinibbio is shot whether he's significantly past his prime. Ponzinibbio had a long win streak, maybe six, seven, eight fights from 2015 to 2018, but then he took a long layoff. He came back against Li Jingliang, and I do think he looked a little slow and rusty in that fight. He didn't really have the speed and the timing figured out of Li Jingliang, and he tried exiting the pocket with his hands down. He got caught with a left hook, and he got knocked out cold. So, not the best performance from Ponzinibbio. He didn't really get to get warmed up. He didn't get to get in his flow. And for this matchup, you got to question if that ring rust is still going to affect Ponzinibbio. Is Ponzinibbio shot? Is he way past his prime? Or can Ponzinibbio return to the fighter he was back in 2016, 17, 18 when he was really getting into his prime? I'd say Baez's best chance to win the fight is to catch Ponzinibbio early, not let Ponzinibbio warm up, not let him get comfortable, and to try to touch that chin of Ponzinibbio early on in the fight. But Baeza has to watch up because he doesn't have the best defensive boxing, doesn't have the best chin. We saw him get rocked by Matt Brown not that long ago. So I think that if Ponzinibbio is his old self, if he's even 75, 80% of his old self, I think his boxing is going to give 
Baez a lot of issues. Those heavy leg kicks are going to give Baez issues in the orthodox versus orthodox matchup. And I think that if the fight gets out of round one, we get into the second half of the fight, I think that Ponzinibbio will, will warm up a little bit and will start to outstrike Baez with his boxing and with his low kick. But getting out of round one is going to be no walk in the park. I'm certainly not confident in Ponzinibbio to survive that early storm from Baez. And I could see him getting knocked out in round one. Even though I'm not confident in the physical state of Ponzinibbio, it's very possible that he is way past his prime. I'm still not confident enough to pick Baeza in this spot because Ponzinibbio is the most difficult fighter that he's fought by a wide margin. And based on what I've seen from Baeza so far in his UFC career, I just cannot pick him in this matchup. His defensive boxing and chin are too much of a liability. And hopefully Ponzinibbio has been sparring a little harder for this fight, maybe getting used to the speed and the timing of a real fight because he just looked rusty in that last fight. And if he can shake off that rust and return to 75% of the fighter he was back in 2017-2018, I think he's going to be a real tough matchup for Baeza with his boxing and his leg kicks. And I'm going to be picking Ponzinibbio to win the decision here. Again, him getting sparked in round one wouldn't completely shock me, but I'm picking him to weather the early storm and to still have a little bit left in the tank to outstrike Baeza in the second and third rounds to a decision victory here. And at plus money, it's a risky play, but I do think the value is on Ponzinibbio here. I do cap as close to a pick maybe a slight edge to Ponzinibbio. So if you're feeling risky, maybe lay some chalk on, uh, on Ponzinibbio, but personally, I won't be betting on this fight. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Roman Delizzi as the minus 134 favorite, taking on Lariano Steropoli as the plus 114 underdog. I kind of like Steropoli in this spot, but I do think he could be a better live bet than a better pre-fight bet, mostly because I do think that Roman Delizzi is going to come in here with a grappling game plan, and he probably does take Steropoli down in round one. I do think that round one is Roman Delizzi's best round, and he tends to slow down in the later rounds, which was very evident in his first fight at 185 versus Trevin Giles in his last fight. So I think there's a good chance that Steropoli loses round one via getting outgrappled, but he has a good chance at being the fresher fighter with the better volume in rounds two and three. Another big issue with Delizzi is he just doesn't throw enough strikes. He doesn't have the best striking output. And when the fight is in the feet, I think that Steropoli will be throwing and landing a lot more strikes and winning the striking in doing so. I also noticed that Delizzi didn't look too comfortable at boxing range versus Trevin Giles. He got hit with a few punches in round two, and he looked a little bit rocked and uncomfortable by them. It was Delizzi's first fight at 185, so he might have some improvements in his cardio here, but that was a really bad look in that fight. Delizzi is mostly a grappler. He's looking to get the fight to the floor, but he doesn't have good top control. He constantly loses position going for leg locks and knee bars and all types of stuff, and that stuff is really detrimental to him. He often ends on bottom. He often gives up top position, and I just don't think that Delizzi is that good of a top position grappler. We've also seen decent takedown defense from Steropoli. He can be taken down, but he's very athletic. He bounces back up to his feet quickly. He's good at getting back up. And I think that he will likely do so versus Delidzi because Delidzi doesn't have the top control to keep him down. Something that is possible here is the size difference is more of a factor than I'm giving it. Delidzi is a former light heavyweight while Steropoli is a former welterweight. Delidzi might be the bigger fighter and might be able to hold Steropoli down more than I think based on that size advantage. But what I've seen from his top position, I just cannot trust Delidzi to keep top position even on a guy like Steropoli. 
I do slightly favor Roman Delidze to win round one here, so I understand why he's the pre-fight favorite, but I don't think he's going to have much continued success with his grappling. I don't trust his cardio to continue that success in the later rounds, and I think that if this fight gets to rounds two and three, we're going to see Steropoli be the better, more effective fighter with a higher striking volume, and I trust Steropoli to not get taken down, to get up off a of bottom, and to outstrike Delidze on the feet here. So I'm going to be picking Steropoli to win his UFC middleweight debut here it's his first fight at 185 and i think he's going to win the fight via decision i think he's going to outstrike delidzi with a better volume in rounds two and three on his way to winning a decision here so the pick for me is going to be lariano steropoli to win by decision the next fight is the co-main event and takes place in the heavyweight division we have marchin tabura as the minus 175 favorite taking on walt harris as the plus 150 underdog so just like most Walt Harris fights, I do think he is round one knockout or bust in this fight. I think he needs to come out aggressive to hit Tabura with some punches and to knock him out in round one, or else I don't think that Harris is going to win the fight. I think that Tabura is the better fighter. I think he can hold his own in the striking, and I think that Tabura has a pretty clear path to victory with takedowns and out grappling Harris. Harris never has had good takedown defense, never been good at getting off of his back. And even in the striking, I think that Harris is pretty overrated. The guy basically has about three minutes of cardio and power. He can be somewhat effective when he's pressuring, when he's aggressive, when he's throwing volume, but that really only lasts for two to three minutes before he starts to significantly slow down. So I think he has a window to win here. The first two to three minutes, he can hurt and knock out Sabura. But if it goes past that three or four minute mark, I think we're going to see Harris start to slow down. We're going to see Tabura start to figure him out, start to push him against the cage, take him down, and to win the fight very clearly in rounds two and three. Tabur has the much better cardio. He's beaten the much better fighters recently. He's actually won four fights in 2020, so Tabur is on a bit of a roll, and I think he keeps it going here. A good way to play this fight is Harris round one knockout plus 650 combined with Tabura money line. I think that combines about 90% of outcomes for this fight. I just do not see Harris being able to win the fight if it gets out of round one. So Harris round one knockout combined with Tabura money line should be a way to lock in some guaranteed profit on this fight. And I think that Tabura does find a finish in rounds two and three on the mat somewhere. So let's go with a round two TKO victory for Tabura. That brings us to the main event in the heavyweight division. We have Jair Rosenstrike as the minus 119 favorite, taking on Augusto Sakai as the minus 101 underdog. First thing we got to mention is this is a dog shit fight, a dog shit main event. Nobody cares about this fight, and it's a disgrace that this fight is a main event. But now that we've got that out of our system, let's talk about how the fight will go. First thing I'll mention about the matchup is both guys are bad defensive grapplers. They can be taken down and put on their backs pretty easily, but I would say that Rosenstrike is the worst defensive grappler of the two. He is so bad at grappling that I do think that Sakai actually has a path to victory by getting takedowns here. I mean, he's really easy to take down. All you have to do is lay on top of him, and you can pretty much win the round. So it's possible that we see Sakai mix in a level change here and win rounds the easiest way possible with the grappling. I don't think that's extremely likely though. I think these two will strike for most of the fight and the roles in the striking are pretty clear. Rosenstrike is the counter puncher, the one with the low volume. Sakai is the guy pumping out consistent volume, the higher output guy. And in those type of matchups, I do tend to side towards the volume striker. I mean, we did see kind of a similar matchup in Rosenstrike's last fight against Gan. 
I mean, Gan is way better than Sakai, but still, Rosenstrike was looking for counters that entire fight, had low volume, was looking for that perfect counter, but it never came, and he never came close to winning, didn't win more than 10 seconds of that entire fight. I mean, it was just a terrible performance from Rosenstrike. I have no idea why they would put him in another main event after that fight. And in Sakai's last fight against Overeem, he did well in the first three rounds, but he just couldn't keep up that consistent pace, that championship round pace in rounds four and five. And he gassed out, ended up getting taken down in rounds four and five and smashed and finished in that fight. It's kind of interesting how their fights went against Rosenstrike. Sakai won rounds one, two, and three, I think, and then lost four and five. Meanwhile, Rosenstrike lost rounds one, two, and three, and then won four and five against Overeem. Very interesting to see how those two played out. But it also makes total sense because Rosenstrike barely uses any energy. He was just saving all of his energy for the later rounds of that fight. Meanwhile, Sakai emptied out his gas tank too early. And I think with some minor adjustments from Sakai, maybe training his car to do a little bit better, maybe making some better decisions, I think that Sakai should be able to keep up that output over 25 minutes and to be the minute winner and to outstrike Rosenstrike here with that possible grappling upside as well. Now, it wouldn't completely shock me if Rosenstrike was able to counter and to hurt and knock out Sakai because Sakai has done pretty poorly against the counter punchers that he's fought like Andrei Arlovsky and like Blagoj Ivanov. There's a good case for him losing both of those fights, even though the judges technically gave him the wins in those fights. He struggled a lot in those fights, and I think we could see similar issues versus Rosenstrike. But Rosenstrike is just so low output, so low initiative. I, I can't pick him to win this fight. I can't pick him to find that picture-perfect knockout counter shot because I think the Sakai has the more consistent way to win the fight with his volume and with his consistent output. So I'll be picking Sakai to win the fight via decision, but a lot of outcomes are on the table here. This is a trash fight. I would not recommend betting on this one, and I think it's pretty hard to be confident in either side here. So the pick for me is Sakai decision, but far from confident in this one. So that is going to do it for the podcast. We analyzed all 14 UFC fights going down tomorrow night. And this is a tricky card. Not many safe favorites on this one. A lot of dogs that catch my eye. I could see myself predicting more fights wrong than right. I could see myself losing several bets. But hopefully the dogs bark. Hopefully I, I made some good reads on these fights because I like a lot of dogs in this card. I think more, most of these fights are dog or pass. So it's going to be a dog-heavy week in terms of bets. It's going to be a risky week, but let's hope it pays off with some profit. And uh, hope you all enjoyed the podcast. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Bet MMA Tips to see my official track bets. And thank you all for listening. Hope you all win some bets and enjoy the fights. I'll see you before next UFC event next week. Peace.